This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to the Alienist Recap Podcast. My name is Alex, and I have not read Caleb Carr's The Alienist. My name is Alex, and I have not read... Wait. <laughs> Wrong note. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. My name is Nick, and I have read Caleb Carr's The Alienist. Today we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 8 of the TNT series titled Psychopathia Sexualis. While we will not be spoiling any of the book, and by extension any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Episode 8. So pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at TheAlienist.tv and you can send feedback to feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on TNT's or Caleb Carr's The Alienist so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast. Much like these people did, uh, actually Claire messaged us on Twitter and said, maybe Laszlo doesn't sign because you need two hands to do it properly properly oh the poetry i also like the parallel of laszlo and his quote-unquote broken wing with hildebrandt starling mm-hmm. i cannot talk today apparently that's all right uh but two great observations awesome observations like uh, so, so good that i'm frustrated that we didn't <laughs> yeah, them. yeah the, the, when she messaged him was like well he doesn't have two good hands i was like oh well duh, duh. but yeah you know it's it's great it's a great point and it it furthers that 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 weird distance between them and yet they still have this 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 kind Magnetic of sort attraction. of love to each for each other yeah no that's great he awesome. literally isn't meant to communicate with her and yeah exactly i'm trying i feel like there's another movie that's like that where there's two characters that are incompatible on some fundamental level but they still connect and i don't remember what it is it's not is Ava, it i love you man <laughs> <laughs> No, but I did finally see that recently for the first time ever. That's pretty good. It's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I finally got the... Ten, ten years later, fast forward, <laughs> to me sitting on the couch and Paul Rudd saying slap of the bass and me going... Ha! Oh. Ha! <laughs> just one laugh. It's like the Jim Gaffigan joke about how he just about saw he, heat. Yes, yeah. exactly. It is exactly that. Because I went to work and said that. I was like, hey, I saw I Love You Man last night. And they were like... So, <laughs> for the what's time welcome like, to 2007 yeah seriously whenever that was anyway uh thank you claire for tweeting yes us. thank that you so much those are awesome observations good yeah. insight uh our sometimes friend, we're just so honed in on more just stumbling through the through yeah the scenery. i'm just i don't even really watch the show anymore i just think about stupid situations to put john yes, skyler yeah. moore what in. can john skyler moore be up to <laughs> uh our friend Katrine wrote you on Twitter. Uh, there was a section that you shared with me that was not spoilery that says, PPPS, if we were to get more, look at your bird, Laszlo, and Sean Young turning to her dog for legal advice, then I believe the show would possess the needed weirdness to be super watchable. That is all. Yeah, uh, I feel like we'd be really good friends with Katrine <laughs> yeah. if she lived around here. 
Yeah, she she certainly gets our our humor. But no, did you want to say anything else about the? Yeah, I have a little bit more here. Book that I, spoilery section. I thought was really valid. No, I mean th- there are some minor spoilers here and there, but overall, she said something that I thought was so eloquent and so perfect that I had to share it. Um, so I didn't know that she actually had read the book. I don't remember if she mentioned that before. I, I don't think. Uh, I don't know. She Maybe. said when she initially heard that Carrie Fukunaga was attached, uh, she kind of debated whether or not to read the book and ultimately decided to take the plunge. And uh, she said, I was pleasantly surprised by the book's concept of being a why done it as opposed to a who done it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my gripe with the show, as you can imagine, having read the book yourself. That's such a great way to put it. That's kind of <laughs> the way the book reads is like and kind of Laszlo's whole M.O. is is why is the person doing it and not like who is it? It's like who it is kind of because it's like who's the man behind it but you're trying to you're trying to construct why they're doing it yeah rather than just like let's catch them and lock them up you want to know what happened to them to in hopes of maybe you know i think ultimately it'd be great to you know we always talk about when we have these shootings and stuff uh, better psychiatric care for people and yeah i think that the a story like this kind of is in that vein too you want to know what happened to somebody to make them this way because we we just have to believe as humans that we're not inherently this evil and also just the fact that like they don't really have they seem unmotivated essentially mm-hmm. and Laszlo's trying to build that motivation to get to the who done it right but there's more to it than that or people just chalk it up to well he's nuts yeah. but nobody's bothering to ask what that means yeah. yeah she also said and this is my personally my favorite part she said in all caps dude where are the chalkboards <laughs> which i really liked and she this is she sums up my main complaint really she just said they skirted past so many important details which you spoke about effectively in your early podcast they such such a fast and quick pace to the show compared to the book and yet we don't actually spend much time asking the question why these boys are being killed at least not to the same effect like in the book and i think this is something we've kind of talked about week to week just that they 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 move past important stuff and they linger on stuff that they've added to the show for some worth but some of it it just feels kind of like you know what are you doing that sort of thing yeah Anyway, overall, she really likes the show, and she even says, "I feel like I'm nitpicking a bit." But you know, if you've read the book, you're trying to, you're you're also trying to cope with somebody else on why some of these some of the the excellence in storytelling is left out, and it is a little confusing. And I'm still waiting to finish out the season so we can fully examine the beast that we've got here. Yeah, and we're kind of along for the journey along with with the rest of our cast. So in that way, it's kind of fun. But you know. Yeah, we're we're on the same page, I think. That's good. Thank you, Katrine, for, yes. for writing into Nick and for not. I also potentially uh, spoiling me on anything by just directing it towards him on Twitter. I did recommend the sequel to her, and no details on who is in the sequel, but she said she ordered it that day, and I I kind of compared it to uh, the Terminator franchise. I said for a crude analogy, I was like this: the Alienist is Terminator One, and Angel of Darkness, which is the sequel, is Terminator Two. They're very different, and the second one's a lot bigger, almost more popcorn. It's not quite as deep dive as the first book, but it's excellent. And it's also longer. So it's a lot like Terminator in that as well. <laughs> Interesting. It's, it's huge. All right. Well, I'm, there's I'm, the advertisement for the book. Yes. If anyone else has read the sequel, we haven't had anybody mention it yet. And I feel like maybe a lot of people who are watching the show don't even know that there is another book in the series. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about, I'll talk a little bit about that in our series finale episode. Just well, and if you want to support us, one of the few ways you can support us by going to midwestpodcastnetwork.com slash support, you can click on a link to go to our Amazon referral, and you can go ahead and buy the book through Amazon if you're on a desktop machine. Unfortunately, it doesn't work on mobile as well, but 
uh, you can buy it through them and we'll get a small percentage of whatever you pay. Yeah, it's extremely helpful. So, yeah. Good sick plug, Alex. Thanks. Way to, way to do it. And uh, buy both books. I mean, when this yeah, is over, true. read the damn book because it's, it's great. And you, I, I don't think you'll walk away after having read the book not liking the show because I still like it very much. But I think you'll start to see maybe what could have been, which is, is a little melancholy, but... You know, the show's still great. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we get enough interest and we somehow find a time machine so that we can do Westworld and The Alienist at the same time, then maybe we should actually start a book club where I read my first book and we can talk <laughs> about it. It would be good. That would be awesome, but so, we'll see. It's, yeah. a, it's a busy next couple weeks here. It is. It certainly is. All right. Uh, uh, thank you, Katrina and Nancy, for your uh, your kind words on Twitter. It's very yeah. sweet. Uh, we also got some emails. Dana wrote in and said, Hey, Nick and Alex, I'm really enjoying your commentary on the alienist. Your enthusiasm for the show motivated me to buy the audiobook abridged. Unfortunately, Hey, Oh, I don't seem to have the attention span to sit and read a book, but hopefully I will at some point question. What am I missing in thinking that the storyline would work just as well without having actual people, i.e. Teddy Roosevelt and JP Morgan mixed in with fictional characters. It seems weird to me that the real people are secondary characters. I mean, couldn't the story be told with a generic commissioner and a generic wealthy man? Why do they have to be Teddy Roosevelt and J.P. Morgan specifically? Well, I look forward to the remaining episodes and checking out your other podcasts. Thanks, Dana. First of all, thank you for the kind words. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for taking the time to write into us. Second of all, to your question, um, it it's kind of my impression or why I think this might have happened was because... It's one of those things where Caleb Carr was probably like, I want to lend authenticity to what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I want to put you in a specific time and place where the idea of alienism or psychology or profiling, that kind of stuff, was nascent and unestablished and not credible and all those kinds of things. And so it just kind of adds a little bit of color to it that I think makes it believable. And it makes you want to think, did this happen or could it have happened? Or, you know, was this something that actually happened in that day and time? But I don't know if you as someone who's read the book actually has any other thoughts on it. I agree a hundred percent. I think that it, it helps make the themes that much more powerful to think like this in, in Caleb Carr's mind and, and my own really that this could exist. This could have happened. And obviously the characters are works of fiction, but he, he probably had to say that, but I like to think that, you know, this sort of thing, especially with the way the investigations handled in such secrecy, that this sort of thing could have happened. You know, it's not like Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter or any (laughs) any shit like that. Like this could, this is plausible, you know, and, and these, these sciences and these practices that we all uh, just take for granted that are commonplace now in, in police work and, and, uh, and law, they had to start somewhere. Yeah. And I think it's a really fascinating idea. I'm sure part of it was born out of Caleb Carr's love of history and love of New York. If I can recall, he is a native New Yorker and he may teach history in some capacity. I might be stretching there. I might be confusing him with the wonderful Peter Weller who <laughs> teaches uh, Italian Renaissance history, if I recall correctly. Caleb Carr, Peter Weller, you know. Yeah. They're, they're one of them played RoboCop. They're the academics other one is in my mind. Caleb Carr. Yeah, old Weller. We we love old Weller on this <laughs> on this network. He has written some nonfiction books, uh, and it looks like he's a military and diplomatic historian and scholar. So yeah, yeah. 
So I think he was one of those guys that probably always wanted to be a, a fiction writer and he had this idea and just did a ton of research. It's a very thoroughly researched book. Uh, actually, I have a, a tidbit of research that I did myself that I would love to mention after you talk about the next feedback because I need to mm. pull it up. All right. But anyway, um, I think that's why. I think it's two-pronged. I think it, it, it exactly as Alex described it, it lends some authenticity. And also, he just loves history. He's writing Teddy Roosevelt fan fiction, essentially. Basically. And I And here's the other thing. It may not be apparent to those of us who only know the TV show, but I bet it makes a whole lot more sense in book form. Just yes, yeah. The, they, we've been talking about how it, it doesn't feel like they're embodying Teddy Roosevelt particularly well. I don't think they're hitting a home run with that particular aspect of the work. In right. The yeah. TV it, it's form. woven in a lot more thoroughly and carefully and deliberately in the book where yeah. it, it, the the fabric of the universe in the book feels a lot more like it was researched by someone who's a scholar. And I've actually talked about that in the primer episode and some of our early episodes that sometimes it's actually too much. He talks too much about like this bridge being under construction yeah. and he goes into too much detail and you're kind of like, okay, dude, I get it. Like you, you love this bridge or like you, you love, <laughs> you love just history. He walks past that bridge every day. Exactly. Or, yeah. And he is enamored with the process of like New York being built up and that's cool. Like it's, it's, it's better to have that level of passion, I think, than have the book be devoid of any detail. Yeah. But so once in a while you get to these stretches, especially if you've, after you've read it once or twice where you're kind of like, okay, I can skip these two pages and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, even like I said, in regard to J.P. Morgan, it, that gives it some weight. When you know who J.P. Morgan is and you think of like, oh, that's the character I'm dealing with rather than somebody fictional, you know, it, it's, it's hard. It's kind of a shorthand, really. Like, we're expected to know who Teddy Roosevelt is. We're expected to know something about J.P. Morgan. However, so you it, don't have to sit there and telegraph like, yeah. J.P. Morgan, the most opulent man in the world, blah, blah, blah. Like, you don't, there, there's a lot of groundwork already laid for you in the fact that these people are real so it's it's kind of a little bit of a a shorthand it's a little bit less work to do and if you don't know who those people are it doesn't affect the book because they ex- true too. the only ones they really explain in detail are roosevelt and jp morgan are kind of two of the best examples where they say like oh roosevelt before he would go on to become the president and they they kind of talk about that yeah he definitely loves teddy roosevelt that's for sure i'm yeah. sure he's a little bummed out about how he is on the show because he's only got two hours left to become teddy roosevelt and you know, at this point, even in a movie like Batman Begins, he had already put on the best suit. Like, <laughs> what are we waiting for here? Yep. Uh, so thank you, Dana, for writing in with yes, a pretty thank insightful you. Uh, email. And hopefully you listen to that book, uh, the audio book, and, and you can let us know what you think about if it is any different between the book and the show in terms of mm-hmm. the real characters. Uh, and then our friend Sue wrote in as well. She said, hi, guys. I'm still very much enjoying your podcast, especially when you talk about John Moore. Too funny. (laughs) You guys mentioned German movies slash people, and I just watched Alone in Berlin, which is a true story about a working class German couple who lost their son during the war and became anti-Nazi. They decide to retaliate by secretly leaving handwritten notes denouncing Hitler. Daniel Brühl plays uh, the detective who's trying to find them, and I think you might like it. Thanks again for your entertaining podcast, Sue. Thank you for the recommendation, Sue. Uh, Thanks, Sue. That movie is Alone in Berlin. I haven't watched it as of yet. I, Nick hasn't either, but uh, it's certainly something that we might come back to when we're missing the Daniel Brühl-shaped hole in our lives. Yeah, I couple, love that Brühl. In a couple short weeks here. It sounds cool. Yeah. No, it sounds pretty good. I was texting Alex after he sent me that piece of feedback and saying that I feel like there's, an, uh, there's a wealth of unmined 
Daniel Brühl content for American audiences if they if they wish. For sure. I think the first movie I actually saw him in was probably Inglorious Bastards. I think me too, yeah. I knew who he was though because he was a star of a movie that my friend in, in college really loved and I don't remember what it was called, but it was a German film. But anyway, I, I had heard his name a couple times and uh, it's really cool that he's made that transition over here and is starting to get these roles because he's awesome as Laszlo. I mean, I would have never thought that, but he's killer. Yeah. Uh, but thank you, Sue. Thank you for writing in. And uh, you could be like any one of those people that we just spoke about right into feedback at TV. We're coming up on the last few weeks of you being able to do that and have it read on the air. So please let us know you're out there listening to us. We always love to hear from the people that listen to our show. I have my research pulled up. Yes. So here's a fun fact that I uh, didn't really know. So Paul Kelly in real life was Italian. He was an Italian immigrant who founded the Five Points Gang in New York City after starting some brothels and such. Ah. He actually was... uh, so he was essentially like a, a, a sort of a gang leader of sorts. And he recruited young men who later became prominent criminals of the 20th century, including Al Capone, Lucky Luciano, and Bugsy Siegel, among others. So Paul Kelly is directly responsible for the rise and upbringing of those guys. Of, of the mob. Which is like, pretty yeah. awesome. I actually didn't know he was a real person when I read the book. I knew that Caleb Carr established him really well. And it was, there was an, kind of an oh shit moment every time he rolled up in his in his carriage. But... Um, I didn't know he was real and I didn't know he carried that much weight. Also among the historical figures are police chief Thomas Burns. He's oh, a real really? guy. Hmm. Biff Ellison was real. Uh, there are a few more that are mentioned that I don't think are really in the show, but are in the book and including Jesse Pomeroy. So there are actually, wow. there's a list of historical figures that are, uh, <laughs> that are characters in the show that some, I, many I knew were uh, real people, but some I didn't know. Yeah. So, they're they're woven pretty deep in there. There's lots of characters, and it's cool. I think it's cool to address Dana's comment that they are the secondary characters. That this is they are not the focus. I think it's cool that they are the the bed on which the story takes place, and that you you've got these fictional people kind of interacting with. They're them. there for for flavor and kind of establishing purposes. Plus, you can look up what happened to them. Yeah, you don't know what happens to the rest of the cast, and I think that's one of the most exciting things when you start the book is uh, you you are given a. An, you're given a disclaimer right up front by the narrator that not everyone makes it out. And uh, that's pretty exciting that he leaves it at that. Yeah. So. Awesome. Yep. Paul Kelly, he may be a doofus in the show, but <laughs> in real life, he got shit done, apparently. <laughs> that's, yeah. Not, not the, uh, not what I would have expected out of his TV. Co- correct. TV character. All right. Let's get on with the recapping. In the teaser, Mary cheerfully tidies up the house as Cyrus and Stevie take note of her cheerful mood, wondering what has gotten into her. A distracted Laszlo lovingly stares out of a train window as he and John head to Washington, D.C. John takes note of Laszlo's dreamlike state, and Laszlo tries to get John to tell him who gave him two black eyes, but John does not relent. As they go to get food on the train, the Swede steps out of a cabin, keeping an eye on them. Uh... Not a whole lot to mention here. I thought it was fun. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cool to see Mary happy for once. <laughs> right. A little, little smile there. Yeah. I liked the the shot of Cyrus kind of looking at her like something's going on. That yeah. They, she's noticeably chipper. Chipper. Yeah. yeah. Which is which is great and speaks to the point of what you said of like the fact that Karaka culture can emote mm-hmm. that without being able to speak it or do things in like a sing-songy kind of way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
It's very... I, I was really excited as soon as this episode started because I love this part of the book when the team splits and they get several leads and then all the leads come together to yeah. point in the same direction at, at the end of it. It is so awesome in the book. It's so sweet. And as good as it is in this episode, the payoff is tenfold in the book because mm. you've spent so much more time getting there. Yeah. And you've been you've hit a few dead ends and a few uh, a few walls that when they finally get something, uh, it's so cool. It's and there's there's a little moment that I have to come back to. But anyway, all right. Uh, yeah, and I got I got excited at them going to Washington. I just like started getting <laughs> really stoked. I was like, oh, here we go. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on John not saying that Connor beat the crap out of him? Is it pride? Is it he doesn't want Laszlo to worry about it? I just don't think he. I think it's kind of he doesn't really think it's relevant. I think he's just kind of is like, what does it matter? But yeah. I think it might also be that he likes having some information that Laszlo doesn't. Yeah. I think sometimes he's kind of like, I know something you don't, and yet he's like trying to struggle to keep his eyes open. Like he, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It is funny because he's got that gash on his nose and both of his. Yeah, he eyes. looks like a ghost. He's just like he's so <laughs> beaten up. The, he's certainly the pummel horse of the TV show. That's for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, right. I, I guess I can't really, I, I can't really figure out why. It is frustrating to me when I watch shows and movies and characters don't just tell each other what's going on, and uh, it, it is a little confusing why he doesn't just go, yeah, kind of beat the shit out of me. What are you gonna do? It's my own fault. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, anything else from the teaser there? No. Although I think. Uh, him not telling Laszlo that is probably a poor idea. Yes, given so, what happens later. Yes. So, uh, all right. Act one, Roosevelt continues to get skewered by the press, but Sarah reassures him that John and Laszlo are headed to D.C., but they may need his help getting access to patient files. Teddy Roosevelt mentions that he has a friend in D.C. John and Laszlo meet with Hobart Weaver, head of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and he asks them to meet him in his office the next day. The next day, Laszlo visits St. Elizabeth's and gets duped into thinking a patient is a doctor when the real doctor lets Laszlo know that Rudolph Bunzel died several months ago and was buried in Arlington. However, Laszlo learns that a man with a facial tick was at St. Elizabeth's, so he requests to look through their records. John and Weaver go to the library to look at information on Native American massacres, and John learns that the way victims are mutilated can indicate which tribe killed the person. Uh, Lucius spots Ethel. That's Marcus's squeeze i guess Mm -hmm. uh with the child that she claims to be her own and john and laszlo meet up thinking they were both fruitless until john mentions the mutilation of a reverend's family in upstate new york specifically new paltz which is where a soldier of interest who has a considerable facial tick was born laszlo and john continue to be tailed by the swede and laszlo asks john to relay all the recent info to sarah sarah receives the phone call from john with all the new information as he and laszlo are heading to boston to visit a child of the parents who were killed by the natives in New Paltz. John requests that Sarah investigate the scene of the crime in New Paltz with the local authorities and tells her to be careful. Act 1 and Act 3 both have everything in this episode, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, Hobart Weaver might be a real person. Yeah, maybe. He doesn't have Wikipedia entry. At the, least not one linked to the alienist. Yeah. Um so I guess where do you want to start? Anything about Teddy? Teddy's still 
being Teddy, yeah. non non Teddy Teddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the when they meet with Hobart and and the waitress walks <laughs> up and yeah, the the expediency of that is funny. I have a friend in Washington. Cut to friend conversation with friend in Washington. <laughs> it was almost like a joke in Ant Man, where like they're just going yeah. from situation to situation. <laughs> But it didn't bother me. I'm kind of, no. for once, I'm kind of glad that we've got, like, we, let's just get to it, you yep. know? I, I kind of liked it because the footwork in modern fiction is is so dull already, and yet in this era where people had to take, like, these long carriage rides to get anywhere rather than just drive or, like, fly, it, it would be even more like, uh, what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that scene was funny that the guy who's in charge of Indian affairs is just, like, this white knucklehead yep. who's just kind of like a bureaucrat who was put there and he's like yeah hey, whatever <laughs> yeah. yeah but then i like that you know he, he finally is like all right just he, he could see that like laszlo's there for business because like mm-hmm. a pretty girl comes up and he's like yep yeah, nope i'm not gonna dance sorry and i said no yeah it's almost like the wet hot american summer moment <laughs> when david hyde pierce blows up and uh and he's kind of like all right come come to my office that's cool yeah um his ribbing of john with his black eyes is pretty good yeah it is funny and uh, and the fact that Laszlo orders a whiskey as well, trying mm. to play up his appearance, I think a little yeah, bit. As a from tough his, guy, his yeah. previous lesson from Sarah was exactly. pretty good. Yeah, maybe he's maybe he's gotten a taste for it. I don't know. Yeah, Laszlo, maybe he's Laszlo he's Laszlo training himself. To, a see bit. the value in some some good old fashioned fire water. The uh, the patient who plays the doctor to to Laszlo, I thought was pretty good. Yeah, so the interesting part about this point in the show is my memory of the book actually gets fuzzier because I think when you, this is probably the point when I'm reading the book that I start to read many chapters in one sitting and as a result, it some of the details start to fan together. Yep. I'm reasonably certain this is not how they find out about the tick, the facial tick. I think that that theory actually comes from Laszlo a lot sooner in the book. I think something about his conversation with Jesse Pomeroy tips him off to that. It is something linked to the face and I don't remember what there's a, because Jesse's got that eye. Yeah. There's something that Laszlo kind of puts two and two together. And I think he, he posits the theory that the person has a tick. Um, but anyway, that was, it was fun how it unfolded in this scene. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. It's really cool too, how you realize what a chance moment it was because that guy could have not talked to Laszlo and they would have never had that lead to go on because the doctor was too new. Mm-hmm. It's also a little frustrating because they reach those conclusions in the books by lots of thorough interviewing and research and 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 work. And for something to happen at just as, as random chance is a little like disconcerting. Yeah. Well, but yeah, whatever. but that's, that kind of happens it, in life it, too. It's true. It happens. It did so. happen. So it's pretty cool. It was a fun scene. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, and this is where kind of the things in the show start to get fuzzy because John learns about the Reverend and Laszlo learns about yes uh, the patient that has the facial tick. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not too different from the book and like in that, like I said, they all start to find these things around the same time because they start to you know, you're looking for a needle in a haystack and then they slowly over the course of the book, the haystack starts to shrink a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And finally, they're, when they're all looking at the same time, they start to clue in on exactly where that needle might be. Yeah. 
And so as, as their process becomes more refined and as they more thoroughly paint the picture of the man, they start to know a little more what direction to look. And the show is kind of showing that a little bit. Like we kind of got there when they start to narrow the search and they start getting the pings at St. Elizabeth's and stuff. They start to know where to look and, and who to look for. And it naturally starts to generate more leads for them. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll talk about Ethel in a second if we talk about her at all. But once again, I don't really know <laughs> why why <laughs> it's happening at all. I, I have an idea, but... It was probably the same idea I had like in episode three or four, so it doesn't, it's not even worth. All right. Whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's a whole lot else. Uh, Sarah's going to New Paltz, and uh, the Isaacsons are headed to the captain. So. Oh, man. Did I ever get excited when I hear that name, New Paltz? Because that moment in the book when they have a name of another place to go to, when they're like, we have an origin story, we just don't know what it is yet. Oh man, is it exciting when when John pulled out his little book and started? I was like, he's gonna say it. He said it. <laughs> what I what I did uh, what I did realize about this episode because we are in so many other locations, it's the brightest episode that we've had of the show. Right? So yeah, far. that's true. Because they're out so during much, the day. <laughs> yeah, they're out during the day doing things in new locations. It just kind of. Oh yeah, I'm really glad you said that. How awesome were those shots of john and laszlo walking through like dc like yeah. period dc yeah wow i have no idea how they did that like i truthfully i don't know i couldn't tell what was real and what wasn't like yeah it, that was really just you see the capital in the way in the distance and it just i was like it, it felt it's cool in the book when they leave new york but seeing it is really different this is one element in which the show actually kind of hurtled the book a little bit yeah well and the thing like new york obviously is known like the New York skyline is, you know, skyscrapers and things that aren't even here in 1896. Essentially, sure. the the bridges aren't even there yet. Mm-hmm. But Washington D.C., like the Capitol building, yeah. th- that stuff has been that for a long time, and so to kind of have that actually there, right? I think was was pretty cool to see. Yeah, but, I think this this part is really exciting. So. Uh, this episode has a lot of info dump and it all comes sometimes all at the exact same time and from many angles. So at this point in the episode, where are we? You said John finds out about the Reverend. John finds out about the Reverend. Laszlo finds out about the tick. The tick. And how does John come across the Reverend story? Because he's examining the photos. Oh, oh, because he's looking for Indian massacres and he hears like, oh, there ha- there hasn't been one in the Midwest or east of that since one in Chicago. But then they hear, oh, there was this... There was one in, in upstate New, New Paltz, York. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's right. So that's kind of how that happens. Sarah's still back at the station, but she gets the phone call from John. And at the time, they just chalk it up to a tribe of ro- roving Indians. That's, like, yeah. yeah. Just some Indians came down out of Canada or something. That was what was reported because, <clears throat> you know, the reverend or whatever was maybe out there doing missionary work, essentially. Sure. And the theory being that he, somebody followed him back from what, out west to, sure. Okay. To take him out. Cool. I just want to, you know, make sure we, we kind of know what, what stage we learn all the information because yeah, it does I, happen very quickly. Yeah, it's it's important to start to tease it out, especially in these summaries that I've written. I kind of condense it down even more. So oh, I can't wait. All right, act two, the Isaacsons, John and Laszlo, and Sarah all head to their different corners of the U.S. Marcus and Lucius chat about Esther and whether or not Marcus loves her. He says he does not, but Lucius says otherwise. Laszlo continues to prod John about visiting or not visiting his ex uh, fiance julia 
And when John asks why Laszlo cares, Laszlo questions John about the first throes of love. Once they exit the train on their way to Newton, Massachusetts, Laszlo explains that they need to keep quiet about visiting Adam Dury, the son of the reverend who had moved out at the time, so that he doesn't expect their visit. Sarah gets judged on the ferry to New Paltz for smoking by the woman next to her, and as she exits the ferry and meets Eliza, she asks Eliza about the nearby mountains, the Gunks or the Shawagunks. Eliza explains that people climb climb them just because they can, much like she does herself. The Isaacsons meet with Captain Miller, the man who relieved Corporal John Beecham from duty once the regimental surgeon called him unfit. Miller liked Beecham despite his religion-related judgment of other servicemen until one day when Beecham was found mutilating a young native boy in the nude whilst aroused. A lot going on. There is a lot going on. Um, I liked the scenes of everybody traveling everywhere, but it all gets kind of split up in a way that makes it kind of difficult to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, if I recall... I think I'm wrong, so never mind. I won't. I won't venture that. Like I said, my details and then this part get a little gray. Yeah, but I thought that maybe that is true. Maybe Sarah's still in New York, and they're still in Washington when the Isaacsons are out west. I thought maybe John and Leslo had returned to Manhattan while the Isaacsons are out west, but I think they are still in D.C. And there, there's this three pronged effort going on, which yeah. is really awesome in the show when when they're on the phone. Yep. I was like, this is great. Like yeah. for some reason, that the sight of that phone was like really cool because I was like, imagine how dope this was to be like <laughs> let me pick up a phone and talk to somebody in new york it was just like uh, the show did such a good job of making that feel special yeah anyway sorry yeah no move on with that uh so we find out that adam dury is the son who had moved out the reverend's name was dury mm-hmm. they got slaughtered but they had a son who had moved out previously who survived Who's, they said the way they the way they phrased it he would survived no, I think he like they they kind of state that he moved away before the incident happened. Mm, okay, I thought at some point they said they had a son who had survived the whole thing. But anyway, okay, sure. They yeah. might have said that, yeah. but it was. Yeah, but they didn't it, know that he had left the farm before that already happened. Yeah, sure. Uh, <clears throat> and then uh, do you know if Eliza's in the book anywhere? The person who picks Sarah up from I don't, the I don't think ferry. So. Okay. If she is, she doesn't have this much importance. Okay. Um, but do the, were you excited by the shower gunks? Is that a detail that, uh, Oh, the mountains. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. That is huge. Yeah. The, uh, in fact, the, the theory, the theory that the, the man is a climber doesn't happen as early in the books as it is in the show. That kind of comes a little bit later, but I remember it's the moment, I think it even ends the chapter when they arrive there, they look up and they just see this giant mountain range overlooking the town and they kind of realize they like, I I don't, I don't think it's just Sarah in the, in the, uh, in the book that goes there. I think John and Laszlo are actually with her. Okay. I think that it's more than, because they end up there later. I'm even this episode. It it is confusing. The timeline of what happens. Anyway, sorry, go on. That's all right. I'm pretty sure there's, they, they have this moment where they all look at each other. Like, Oh hey, and they get and they get excited because they're like, we're closing in on something. Yeah, like we're getting somewhere. Uh, There's also a killer moment where the Isaacsons are they're west and they can only communicate via telegram and or uh, Morse code and um and they they have a 
they get the theory. I think I think it's when they're in DC still. John and Laszlo get the the theory, and they get all the new Paltz info. And I believe they rush to the uh, what do you call that? Place? I think that's a telegram. Yeah, that, I guess so. They rush to uh, to the place to input it, and they send the info to the Isaacsons. And then, like at the end of a chapter, they they say like, "What do you think? Like, is this worth pursuing?" And then the they wait, and the Isaacsons get a telegram back to them that just comes through and says like lead is solid follow or something like that and they get so excited they're like oh my god and again i think it's another way a chapter ends where they get this telegram back that's like that sounds good like yeah check do that and it's like so exciting when they all just get this like renewed energy and there's so many times in the book where john even says like he's running out of steam they're all frustrated they're hitting their head against the wall they're looking at the calendar that they're that they're checking off days until the next holy day like all the pressure's mounting and then when they finally get these moments they're just like renewed energy they grab a cup of co- cup of coffee slam it and run out the door and like we gotta go it's just it, this episode had this this effect on me because i knew where it was going and i i don't know did did you feel this way did you have this feeling of like there's certainly like with like, how, like a true detective towards the end when you're suddenly starting to get there and you're just like oh my god with how dense things get especially in the next act when because the next act is where the slipknot really just oh yes slips like that's exactly where it happens mm-hmm. and so i certainly started feeling this momentum starting to build of like all right because you know it's episode eight you kind of are like by now they right, gotta figure yeah. something out exactly and and but it, it does have this I don't want to say good pacing to it because I feel like it's really lumpy as we were discussing previously, but yes. it is, it, it certainly has a momentum to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So anyway, um, and then I did want to remark on John's comment about how there's biscuits at the factory. Yep. In Newton. Yeah. <laughs> that was My our mother that was, quite enjoys that was our John made moment. of figs. There was, was like, an, there was another one on the train where he said something in a very, in a more, very it's more the, voice. It's the, let's get some, I'm, I'm hungry. Yes. Let's yep. get some food. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I was like, God, he is such an adult. It's so great. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, he is this the bomb. He is. I, I love it. Um, it was pretty good. Luke Evans is just so awesome. Um yeah, I forgot to mention the line that Luke Evans has where he basically acknowledges that Lazlo's in love and he and he kind of says like and one, in, one inevitably finds a way to direct the conversation back to love. Yeah. And the way he just it's the most eloquent thing John Skyler Moore will ever say. <laughs> it's really eloquent, but I didn't necessarily get that he made a connection there. And he, I don't know that he did. Oh, I think so. <laughs> yeah. He knows. I because he I, knows something's up. Well, yeah. And obviously he he's laszlo's tell is that he's bringing up julia out of nowhere mm-hmm. as a way of and he even he even asks the question what was it like being in love like, yeah because he's kind of checking it against himself he's yep. trying to understand he's because like, he's this, such a he's robot di- he's yeah. diagnosing exactly. himself with, what am oh, i feeling <laughs> i have love right now <laughs> yeah oh man that was more to come on that yep john more to come yep. uh and then yes Captain Miller explaining what happened with Beecham in great detail. Awesome. <laughs> yep. Very, very good. We're we're getting there. We're getting close to uh to something. Yeah, that was actually a little more than is detailed in the book. I'm pretty sure in the book it's just stabbing. Like I'm pretty sure he just is found mutilating a corpse and, yeah. and that's all it takes for them to say, Okay, clearly he snapped. It's not something so out there as he's totally nude and covered in blood and like fully erect. Like it just, (laughs) 
It's not that quite that crazy in the book. <laughs> it's definitely like he was he was going a little ham on the body, and and they they just chalk it up to because I feel like someone with those. <laughs> They get a little more in their file, I feel like, than than just oh, he's seen too much action on the frontier. Send him to the to the hospital. Yeah, this feels like hold on, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what we I mean. We need to do something about this. Yes, this so. guy shouldn't be released at any point mm-hmm. from the yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's all. Act two, on to Act three. Burns meets with Connor at his home, and Connor explains that John and Laszlo have been in D.C. the past few days looking for, quote, cowboys and Indians. They both agree that Laszlo cannot be the one to solve the case before the police do. Sierra meets with Sheriff Early and Eliza at the remains of the Dury household. They explain that Reverend Dury wasn't very good at his job, but at one point brought back photos of the natives' mutilated victims and showed them to children to let them know that's what would happen to them if they misbehave. Dury's older son, Adam, had moved out before the incident where the natives came to exact revenge on the reverend for some reason, and it's believed that their younger son, Japheth, was taken by the natives. But Eliza tells Sarah not to believe anything, everything that the sheriff tells her. John and Laszlo go to Adam's farm and get ab- ambushed by Adam in the barn with a shotgun, but they explain that they're there just to talk. Eliza and Adam explain to Sarah and John slash Laszlo respectively about J- uh, Japheth, how he had very few friends and that his mother mistreated him, saying he was the bastard child of a red engine. He had one friend named George Beecham who climbed the gunks with him, but one day Japheth came back, quote, bleeding down there, end quote. It turns out that George died around the same time as the Durys. He was thrown off of the gunks, but he was found with his throat cut from ear to ear and his eyes missing. So... Watching this the second time today, and mm-hmm. as we start to hear about, I did not realize that when I had watched last night that Japheth was Beecham. Okay, right. So a lot of people didn't apparently, yeah, or don't realize the connection. And I was I was on Reddit reading some people's thoughts about this episode, and people were saying, "So wait, there's two Beechams. There's a there's two brothers." There's a George and a John. The show does this in a way that isn't as well done in the book. Yeah. In the book. So in in your mind, and it's readily clear to you after watching it the second time that Japheth Dury survived. Took he, on the name uh, he John He assumed Beecham. the identity of John, or he became John Beecham. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. Good. By By the time I had watched that a second time, studying for notes putting it all down on paper i was mm-hmm. like oh japheth is has to be john like that that makes sense that made sense to me oh, but it, it took me for some reason i completely missed it my first time through which is interesting i wonder if anybody else did or if anybody uh, was confused walking out of it so if so i'm glad that we're here to to clear it up for you but so that around this part is so well done with all the cross cutting yeah this is around the point watching it last night where like a, a, a high pitched just wine started to come out of me because <laughs> it was like steam coming out of a kettle because I was just so excited. Yeah. And my wonderful and, and lovely fiance, uh, she falls asleep on the couch when I'm watching stuff. And I was actually watching this episode on my phone. Yeah. And I was just like leaned over just watching it. And I think I started to make noise because it woke her <laughs> up and she was like, let's, let's go to bed. I was like, Oh yeah, uh, okay. I'll be right there. I'm just gonna like brush my teeth or something, and I just kept watching because I couldn't <laughs> stop. I was like, "This is too good." Um, 
yeah, this is the book. So it's not it's not a spoiler for the book, but they they learn the identity of Japheth Dury sooner than they meet Adam Dury. They already have the theory going into it that maybe, just maybe, Japheth Dury became John Beecham. Okay. They don't know for sure. All they know is that a soldier enrolled in the west and he he i think he he asked to go out west i believe that's a detail they don't talk about was he said he wanted to serve out west and everybody was like why like that's the worst place to go right now and he like asked for it and they talk about how he went climbing on like his his uh leave days or whatever they call it and they there's a lot more about beecham that makes them think this sounds a lot like the same guy and they're just like boiling over with with excitement especially more just can't handle it but laszlo's like we need to be sure that's when they decide to go visit Adam. And that's when a detail that was absent from the show comes back around in a really awesome way when they meet Adam. And it's something that I talked about, but Alex cut out, cut out okay. which was not unwise. It was the right move. Probably it, was to, it was to preserve for people reading the book. Yes. But there's, there, is a, there is a clue that comes their way earlier in the show or in the book during an incident and that comes around and pays off in the dopest way when they meet Adam. And I'm going to tell you about it off the air and you're just going to go, Oh, why didn't they do that? (laughs) So yeah. Um, Maybe we'll record it. And if you email us and say, please send me that segment, I want to know what you're talking about. (laughs) We can, we can send you the director's cut of this episode. We could do that. So, Anyway, they already kind of have this theory going. Like, I, I, I do believe now that we're talking about that Sarah goes to New Paltz on her own and that, I don't know. I don't know now. I, and I well, like and here's there. the thing that anyway, I want to say. The, the show, to me, gave me the puzzle pieces to make those connections. Yes. But right now, I don't think Sarah knows of the name John Beecham yet. Correct. And I don't think that the, uh, like, I guess... John and Laszlo know about Japheth, but we don't know how they know. Uh, you assume that Sarah filled them in because when they're talking to Adam, they're like, what about your brother? Well, and I don't know that it's, uh, I don't know that we have to assume that Sarah filled them in other than like, unless John, John must have been looking at the massacre I guess that's and was true. like, oh, their son was not found or he something was abducted, like that. Yeah, presumably. Presumably abducted by the natives. Yeah. So, so they're still trying to connect Beecham to this thing. Yeah. So I guess that's the thing is that like a, uh, Eliza knew that it was George Beecham, but we don't know necessarily what Adam shared with them. Because in the next act, when they're talking in the in the in the stagecoach or what, and that's not a stagecoach, just the carriage. Yeah. Uh, they they're commenting about how they're like, "This has got to be our guy," mm-hmm. but they're not. They don't know how he relates to the Dury family. I think. They don't. They don't know who Beecham is in relation to them. They just. They just feel like it's. It's here somewhere. The answer is going to be with Adam. Yeah. So. It's kind of yeah. I I don't. I guess Laszlo and John seem like by the end of the episode that they might have, most of the pieces. But it seems like Sarah might come in to fill the whole picture. To confirm. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they will write it all down. On a chalk. On a chalkboard. <laughs> the chalkboard of love. Yeah. The, it. It uh, the show did Adam Dury is awesome. The casting of him is really good. He's he's only in the book for this sequence, but he's he makes a big impact. 
And uh, the way he talks about George Beecham is really awesome. So did you, what were your impressions of George Beecham based on what the show told you? I don't want to put words out there that you may not necessarily know. Uh, just by everything that was kind of said, because he, he shares that, uh, Adam shares the idea that Japheth came home one night upset, sobbing, cursing, and bleeding down there. I assumed that like maybe there was some type of relationship between George and Japheth. And but I don't understand exactly why he would be bleeding down there necessarily. <clears throat> well, should I elaborate on this? I don't know yet. I don't. I don't know. I feel well. Mm, the answers that I'm going to talk that I would talk about all come out in this scene in the book. But I feel like because Sarah might come in. There might be more that gets revealed next episode when everything. That's true. Gets, yeah, I guess in so my mind, I already know. I'm going to write Japheth and George on the board and okay. we can wrap back around to it later. If, okay. If you would like. And, and if we don't end up talking about it next week, then. Okay. Yeah. I feel like next week. That's true. We'll, we'll still fill in some. Man, see, uh, by this point in the show, they should already be back in New York, at least by the, by the episode nine. Is the final episode more than an hour? I don't know. I don't know if we okay. know that yet. I don't know if they've there's put still, anything there's out. There's still a lot to do. But the, <clears throat> by the end of this episode, John and Laszlo are back on a train. Yeah, that's true. They're we do back. know that. So I think Okay. I think yeah, fair enough, fair episode enough. nine will probably take place and, and Sarah's in And Sarah's still New in New York. Yeah, she's, all, she's like a ferry ride away. Where's Adam's farm? I forgot. Adam's farm is in Newton, Massachusetts. Okay, that's right, Newton. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, by the Fig Newton plant yes. or whatever, the biscuit, Fig the biscuit New- plant. Fig Newton cinematic universe? Yes. I love Fig Newtons too. I'm, I'm totally there with Graham. Do you think they got ad money for that? Line? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they should They should show John's face on the packages of Fig Newtons now. <laughs> the speech bubble that says, my Graham is quite fond of them. I want the alienist branded Fig Newtons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh man, I miss when someone with Photoshop has to listen to this show, and there's so many good things that we're coming up with here. So please, we'll just do it. Yeah, that's right. We, we can do it. We, we have yeah, we to have do Photoshop. It. We should just make T-shirts of Fig Newton containers John's, with John's, John's face on. John's it. bruised face. <laughs> My gram is quite fond of them. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but now this act was really good. It's very dense. It's very in there, and it does. I think almost require a second viewing in order yeah. to really piece everything together that happens here. This is one of the first times where I felt like we had reached where Kerry Fukunaga would have been. Like, this is some of his producer influence yeah, actually this sleep, felt, seeping in. I mean, I will always remember the first time I was watching True Detective and around episode like six and seven when it like really... They start to get all the clues. Uh, and, when they're and really in the right direction and the show's timelines almost sort of catch up and yeah. everything kind of... I mean, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen True Detective, stop watching this show and go watch <laughs> that because <laughs> it won't take you long. It's only no. eight episodes. And then then come back and watch this if you want. I don't know. No, I mean, if you end this show and we're like, that's good. That well, was good. Watch True Detective. Go watch True Detective and be like, wow, that was Because really it's good. a masterpiece. It is. It is a masterpiece. Um, and you'll yeah. see what kind of potential the show held in, in Nick's in my mind when mm-hmm. 
Kerry Fukunaga originally. Yeah, I almost wish that direct. they would like reboot this again in like five years. That's the thing. That's what I was thinking as as you were talking about Katrine's feedback. Was like, man, whenever this circles down to like a second adaptation, if somebody tries to make a movie out of it or whatever happens, I think it'll be very interesting to. I will say I'm really, revisit I'm, each of them. I'm really pleased it is a show. I'm glad it's not a movie. No, a movie wouldn't have worked. I I think I think that makes sense. Like I think this like a 10 episode miniseries is probably the perfect form for the book to be in mm-hmm. but it feels like they didn't quite capitalize on everything right. but you know we can talk Still about that more. in the we yeah there's there's more to come uh we did also hear a little bit about how the Dury's mother was verbally abusive to to Japeth. very important detail the fact that you know, she talked about how he was a bastard from a red engine and <clears throat> and basically just said that he was left on their doorstep and that kind of thing. Who knows if it's true or not. But yeah, it's important to note, especially in regard to Laszlo's freak out on Sarah. Yeah, exactly. It's the idea that, yes, the mother did perform. The woman in his life did have some effect on, on his psychological being. Mm-hmm. So... It's kind of a point of disapproval for for Laszlo and a, and a point in Sarah's column. So that's that's mm-hmm. good. Anything else from there? Oh, the other thing. There, there was a third John moment. It was when he walks up to the cow and he's, Do you Yes. Know, you know where your master don't is? Don't suppose you know where your master might be. <laughs> John the animal whisperer. Yes. Just going to turn to him. Hello, John. <laughs> Above you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. he's great. What a, what a goof. Yep. Act four, J.P. Morgan meets with Teddy Roosevelt at a clothing store to explain that the public is not ready for an alienist to deduce the killer before the police do because it would remove their faith in the police and, quote, faith is a terrible thing to take away from a man, end quote. But Teddy retorts with, you can't stop the future. John and Laszlo connect the dots, thinking Japheth must be Corporal John Beecham and that he sounds like he must be the killer thereafter when the Swede shoots their carriage driver and spooks the, their horses. The carriage falls off the bridge, off of a bridge and Laszlo injures his leg. Thinking he won't make it, he wants John to deliver a message in case he dies, but John refuses and they make off into the woods. Taking a rest, John asks Laszlo about who the message was for, knowing that he must be in love. They talk about it, and John thinks that Laszlo is speaking of Sarah, but Laszlo corrects him and explains it's about Mary. John is slightly incredulous, but ultimately thinks Laszlo deserves the happiness of being in love with Mary. And Laszlo laughs, since John seemed jealous when he thought it was Sarah. Yeah. I li- I really like enjoyed this sequence. Yeah, that was a, that was a nice little scene. You know, after the horror of the Swede shooting there. Their driver. Their driver. Yeah, they don't even address. They're just like, yeah, they're just like, well, let's stop and have a chat. Some nerd from Newton. We'll just leave him there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, in the book, I think it is similar. I think that there it's there's more than one shooter, though. Okay. But I think it's similar effect. Yeah. I, I don't remember if the Swede is like. Thing quoted in or in the yeah. yeah i think he is but I don't know. that's that's a little fuzzy like i said this is the part where i start just blasting through it because you can't stop you can't put it down yeah it's so awesome uh but this whole conversation is uh is 
somewhat accurate, but it's fine. I actually really like what they did with it. And the, the revelation of, of Mary in the book is, is, is way funnier because I've been dying to talk about this. You as the, as the reader do not have a, the slightest clue about Laszlo and Mary. They, you kind of get hints in the way that like they sometimes awkwardly leave the room and yeah. the way that they, he sometimes addresses her. And there's the moment when he blows up on her for leaving with John, for leaving the house because yeah. he like loves her and doesn't want her to, you know, get hurt or anything like that. It's little things like that, that when you know, when you go back and you read the book, you see like a l- few moments here and there that like some foreshadowing that there's more there than you know. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the show where you flat out see them like... Where they're given dedicated screen yes, time exactly, to interact. To, and, to flesh out their relationship and that. And you, so when you also think that Laszlo and Sarah have a thing going because in the book, they kind of have this sort of relationship and it's very clear that John is not a romantic interest. So... John does kind of, and he he is a little jealous, but not because he loves Sarah, but because like she's his friend and Lazarus yeah. his friend, and he's kind of like, well, where's mine? <laughs> but uh, so you you do think that that's kind of what it is in the book too. And when when John when they do finally have this moment where he's like, oh, she's great, it's uh, Sarah and all that, and and was he saying the show? It's like, oh, I suppose I can brag that I introduced you and all that. Yeah, and Laszlo like. It's way more than just a chuckle. He like full on belly laughs for like minutes and jo- until John like gets angry and he's like, okay, stop it. Like, why do you think that's so funny? What is, and because he goes, Laszlo or John doesn't get it. Yeah. And he hates being like embarrassed. And it's really funny in the book because just picture Luke, I was standing there just going like, well, stop laughing and tell me what's going on. Cause that's exactly what happens. And Laszlo finally like wipes the tears from his eyes. He's like, oh man, oh my God. And he's like, no, that's hilarious. No, not Sarah. Sorry. He's like, I, I think Sarah is great and I respect her. He's like, but no, that's not it at all. Yeah. And then he reveals that it's Mary and John is like blown away. He's like, what? I had no idea. That kind of thing. And Laszlo says like, it's complicated. And I think he does say like, is it reciprocated? And Laszlo's like, yes, but he, he's working on his feelings on it. But the whole thing is very, it's very guarded. Laszlo doesn't really say too much about it. He just kind of makes it known that like he loves Mary and he's pretty sure she loves him. Back. Well, in the, in, in the show, they make it very clear that he's very conflicted about <laughs> it. He's like, yes. I've evaluated my feelings on her. I know it's not, very ethical like but i like he, that he even says a man can't control yes. certain things yep although it's awesome that he reduces love to like physiology he's like my my mind is attracted to the things she has that i don't it's just simple yeah. <laughs> it's just simple you know uh, or he says the heart is physiology but he talks about love and i do like that part where john where he's basically says like it doesn't make sense but it is what it is and john kind of tells him like it's not about the mind like i told you love resided in the heart yeah there's a great line he's yeah. like you're you're not going to think your way out of this one like, it, just, <laughs> it is what it is it, it was a really great scene and i think it kind of we finally got to that moment where we see them as like buds mm-hmm. which we don't really see much of even in the show when they're like not angry with each other you don't see them as just like pals yeah and it's their 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 college relationship seems very business like in the right, investigation exactly. essentially, and they're college friends like they're yeah. they're old buddies, and that kind of we finally see that a little bit in the scene where even when he's like helping carry him, it's like there's there's something there that they're they're more than just like acquaintances or like or you know associates yeah they're 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 friends yeah, and I do love that line where he's like no one deserves it more yep, and it's uh, it's very sweet because Laszlo's been just a, a right douchebag and. For John to put all that aside and hear that his friend who he thought incapable of love <laughs> loves somebody and that they love him back, he's like, well, you know what? If that's not a damn miracle, 
I don't know what is. Yeah. Like, you do deserve it. He knows that he's a good person inside. And though he's difficult and annoying and arrogant, he is uh, he's a good person. Yeah. He's fantastic. Uh, I wanted to track back to J.P. Morgan for a second. Hmm. Am I supposed to be unsure of why there's all of this cover-up still? Because it feels like I don't quite know if Burns is covering for Beecham for a reason. Or if they're just very unhappy that the police aren't at the forefront of the investigation. Like I, I there's I, been things said to that effect. Yeah, and it I know makes what you're saying. Sense, but there's there's part of me that's like I feel as though there is room for them to be protecting Beecham. I know what you're saying. Because like obviously uh Connor was hiding case files and like that kind of stuff. There's a reason they didn't want it solved. It that's the thing. It seems like there's a reason they don't want it solved, period. Not just that they don't want Laszlo to be the one to solve it. Yeah, I I can't give you a clear answer. Partially because I can't remember a hundred percent, and yeah. partially because um, you know things. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I put that out. I, there. I think you're you're raising a good question, though. Okay. I, I because assume Morgan tells them. Uh, Van Bergen's not a suspect anymore, so let these guys go about their business. Yeah, and yet they're still now. He's still telling Teddy like you can't let this, you can't let the alienists figure this out, mm-hmm. like very directly. And so I don't know. They, 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 there's a question there still. I guess I think it may just be a, a fear of like a larger fear of just people thinking that other people besides rich people and police can help them. I think it's sort of a keeping them under the boot heel thing. Like they don't want to, they don't, they, they don't want there to be another uh, strata of people out there. It seems like there's a lot of it about, they don't want the power of the alienists to take away from the power of the police. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and even beyond that, beyond the power of the rich. Yeah. And that's probably part of the reason Morgan was trying to get Laszlo to let him help because he wanted to be able to say like rich people did this. Yeah. Give me your everything rather than an alienist because he is a humanitarian and a, a doctor did this. You know, they want to be able to claim some credit. Yeah. I think that that's probably like the whole, the whole system in this era is founded on the idea that rich people tell everyone else what to do yeah and there's not a there's not a process to protect everybody else necessarily we're still working that out and even so many would probably argue today that it's still very much the same way yeah uh all right i think that's all for act four on to act five john and laszlo apparently make it onto a train headed home (laughs) somehow yeah man (laughs) cut to shot of laszlo on train (laughs) they ask a cow yeah do you know where the train is? <laughs> uh, Mary tends to Cyrus at home, and when she hears a door slam, she walks out to find that it's actually Connor and Doyle looking to see if Laszlo made it home. Stevie gets chloroformed by the Swede outside as Connor and Doyle terrorize the house. Connor heads upstairs, and Mary runs to the back door slash kitchen, but Doyle heads her off. 
Cyrus latches onto Doyle, and Mary grabs a knife to head off Connor upstairs. They fight as the Swede chloroforms Cyrus, and Doyle runs into the foyer, just as he sees Mary thrown through the upstairs banister where her head hits the chandelier, and she lands near the foot of the stairs. <sighs> rough ending. Well, that's very rough. Uh, is that how it happened in the book, I guess, is my uh, principal question? You don't know exactly how... But essentially, yes, I believe they come home and Mary is at the foot of the stairs and I believe her neck is broken. Yeah. And I think Cyrus is unconscious. I think essentially they say Connor and his guys paid a visit to the house and it does come pretty much like this where the rug is yanked out from under you because you finally hear that like there's hope for Laszlo as a human being and then it gets taken. The hope is dashed away and she is killed. And uh, it's it's very hard in the book, and I'd say it's almost harder in the show because you really have that face, and she did such a great job playing her. Yeah, and they put more time to it. Exactly, period. and and they really fleshed out that relationship. And I think for me, the biggest thing about Mary in the show that was so impactful was when she goes out with John. Like that whole sequence. I thought it was just tremendous. Mm-hmm. And re- I, as I was watching it, I remember thinking like, God, it's going to be so sad when she dies. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone thinks that she's not dead, she's dead. Yeah. No, I didn't think there was any question okay. about it. Yes. I think that how they got there was kind of clunky. I um, I didn't really like the struggling scenes. It was just hard to follow what was going on. And that kind of took me out of it. Um, I do appreciate that Mary puts up a fight. I think that's pretty cool. And I think that Cyrus even says in the book, like Mary wouldn't, She's very protective of them and the house, and she wouldn't just leave. I think Cyrus even says, like, I told her to, to try to get out, but she didn't. And I think Laszlo even kind of has this moment of, like, no, it doesn't sound Yeah, that like, wasn't going like, to happen. Sounds like Mary. Yeah, and that, I was realizing that. I was like, because when I first wrote this out, I was like, she ran to the back door. But then I was like, no, she's not leaving. She's no, she literally to get a looking knife. for a knife. Yeah, because yeah, she wants to go and fight Connor. Exactly. So <laughs> it made, a knife fight. Yeah. So that, that made sense. Like, I think that was very well. I did think she was going to take Connor with her. I thought, I did think he was going to die. Yeah. And he gets, he does get stabbed. He, yeah. So he's not doing great. But uh, I thought he was going down with her for a second. They were going through the banister together. But I almost would have liked the, the, through the banister and, and off the chandelier was almost too much. I would have rather just thrown down the stairs and like a broken neck. That feels like it just would be even sadder and like more realistic because it, it, like you could fall down the stairs and survive. And yeah. I don't know if you could fall off the second floor like that and, and bonk your head and, yeah. and, and live. But something about finding her at the, at the foot of the stairs was so like horrifying and something, the notion that she was just, because they're not trying to kill her. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to, to find Laszlo and she just is a, she's a, a victim of circumstance basically. And I mean, it is obviously a murder, but they, I think they just kind of throw her and be like, get off me kind of thing. And then she, she, that's what happens. Yeah. I think she does get her licks in in the book. I'm pretty sure they do get injured. Oh, they do. Because uh, when they, yeah, and this is what makes it even sadder. I think when they find out that she did stab a couple of them or something, there's like a silent moment John has where he's like, he's like welling up with tears and you get like the italicized like in his mind moment. He says, good for you, Mary. Like it's like this Mm. moment of him saying like, good for you. Like he didn't go down. He went down swinging and it's like, it's a pretty beautiful moment. And it, again, the relationship Moore has with them is like, they're, they're 
they're Laszlo's family and yeah. Moore's Moore knows them all really well. Like he's over there all the time. And so Mary is in, in effect sort of almost like she would basically have become his sort of sister-in-law almost. Yeah. And it's just, there's a moment in the book where John basically says like, he knows in that moment that Laszlo was forever a different person. Like he had finally reached this point as like a human where he's willing to open himself up and love and be loved and, and, be a more of a, a well-rounded normal man and suddenly that is taken away from him so suddenly that john realizes like yes he's gonna he's gonna wall off like a tomb and yep. he's never gonna be never gonna love again he's never gonna be available like that again and when you read that through john's eyes it's so sad it's yeah. so impactful when he's just kind of like he realizes like that's it and leslie will never recover from this fully and although he's a doctor and although he is an intelligent guy who can eventually move on and say like it was a it was a freak occurrence and she's she's a victim of of terrible circumstance that i wasn't here that she was there that these people came in the first place he can he'll be able to to compartmentalize and rationalize all that he will he will never be able to like get over the idea that he loved somebody finally and that they were taken away yeah and it's truly terrible when you read it through john's perspective because who knows what picture he will draw to try to say that in the show. But in the book, he's so good with words that he, he just is able to just lay it out there. Yeah. So it is heartbreaking in the book and it's, uh, it's quite sad in the show. Yeah, no, I, I do agree. Like, I think they, as soon as they showed the shot of the banister, I was like, I know exactly what's going to happen here. I, I kind of, I feel like they telegraphed it. And I think it's a bit of what you said about showing the struggle how they film the struggle and how it all plays out in front of you. I felt it, it was still shocking, but it was something that I realized was going to happen moments. It was almost like mousetrap. Like you, you show or like Chekhov's banister. Yep. It was, it would have been, I feel like it would have been so much more shocking if like she ran up the stairs after him and he turned around and they struggle and she did stab him and you're like, hell yeah. And then he just kicks her off and she flies down the stairs and then she's dead. You'd be like, holy shit. Yep. Did that just happen? Is is that really? And he even should be like, oh, crap. Like, I killed somebody else. <laughs> and, you know, what do we do now? Well, and I, Connor, Doyle looks up at Connor and it's kind of like a, what do you, you, just do you do? realize you just screwed us so hard? Yeah, like Exactly. Yeah. So that. Because I think they're going to know, like, John, John, these, these people are going to come for us. <laughs> well, and John's got to, John's got to make the connection next episode and be like hey laszlo guess what i got this from connor because connor was trying to get the investigation ended mm. like yeah. that's yep, for sure and that so as we were saying earlier the idea that john doesn't share it with laszlo could have if he did maybe prevented this situation although i don't know what laszlo would do other than laszlo tell cyrus might, hey well laszlo will probably right now his first concern the only thing on his mind really is mary and so i feel yeah. like if he thought for a second she was in harm's way he would tell them like you need to leave you need to at least go to the institute and stay there yeah rather than just at the house but yeah that that little detail is going to be interesting to see if they if john does feel guilty um or if Lazlo says why didn't you tell me if they have this moment of like you could have prevented this you could have said something yeah Anything else on this episode? I think we hit this is a big the, one. It is a big one. We've got uh, we've got the name. Yeah. Spoilers. John, yeah. John Beecham, baby. I, I was going to ask you last week if Rudolph Bunzel was the name or not. Hell no. Is that name in the book? I don't remember. Yeah. 
they do they they hit a lot of dead ends in the book there's definitely a lot more moments of like they chase something down that seems um that seems promising and isn't yeah I have something so exciting to talk about that the show did <laughs> so well and I feel like now would be an okay time to talk about it the I, the show had an just an incredible piece of foreshadowing that isn't in the book and it's so good and it didn't it didn't hit me in the moment that it happens but when when we were in the middle of doing our episode our recap on this episode and it hit me like a lightning strike and I almost just like melted into a puddle and <laughs> fell through your floorboards <laughs> because it's so awesome. Ugh. And it has to do with with what would eventually help them identify John Beecham. And they've talked about it. We should just talk about this because it's so brilliant. I assume finger marks. No. No. We did see that. We saw the, the, the climbing, the scars. Yeah. Oh, man. That's so good. <laughs> okay. I'm just gonna. I was gonna say this, but there's no reason to because we're gonna have enough to talk about. And it, wh- how long are we? What, what's going on? Uh, we're at like an hour and ten ish. Okay, which is fine. That's right in. If you want to hear, no, okay. um, <laughs> call us right now. <laughs> so, in your mind, in the next episode or or whenever they do the next stakeout or whatever is to come, how do you think they're gonna find John Beecham? How do you think they're gonna pick him out of a crowd? <clears throat> um. If they're on the street and they have a similar moment where Stevie was standing there and, uh, and somebody is approaching and they look at him, what do you think is going to happen? And you, if you're them, what are you looking for? Well, we know about the facial tick. Yes. And that, I think, is... Uh, they it, Well, and there was a mention of... Eliza says that it looked like he was in pain. They, they kind of say it looks like a wince. Yeah. And... She says it's something that kids made fun of. And if you've ever seen somebody who has like a tick like that, uh, it usually, it, it's usually like a contraction on one side of the face. Yeah. And I think that's kind of how they describe it. Now, Adam Dury does say that when he was hunting and when he was climbing. It, it goes away. It does go away. Yeah. Yes. So you're, you're <laughs> under the presumption that you will not be able to identify him. However, uh. and this might just be me making this leap because I know about the tick. Yeah. But in the episode where Sarah's at the party in the game that's mm. talking about spot the killer and it's the person who winks at you yeah. and their face like does that. Yep. I was like, oh my God, that's it. Like that's the tick. That's like this. It's like the same thing. And I, when it happened, when that guy looks right at her and winks like that, I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> is this just me drawing this line or uh. are they that awesome that they decided to like paint this foreshadowing that literally you have to look for the person whose face moves like that? That's pretty interesting. And when this idea occurred to me, I was like, oh, wow, that's really <laughs> awesome because it may manifest itself quite like that, quite yeah. like a wink like that. That's kind of how they describe it in the book as almost like an exaggerated wink. And then, uh, you know, under, I think they, you know, they kind of say that they do, they do talk about when he's like a kid, he got bullied for it. And the more stress and duress the person's under, the worse it gets, the yeah. more it turns into like a full kind of face thing. Yeah. But other than that, it's just like a tick kind of like that. Yeah. So when that, when there's that creepy shot of that guy looking right at Sarah and just grinning and he just does that i was like oh <laughs> i feel like that's it i feel like they gave us a big giant clue right that's then. interesting no that's good and I, I was i was skeptical i was like is this going to be another thing that i want to cut out of the out of the episode but i think you're just theorizing from what the show gave you mostly it's not like a mm-hmm. we know that there's a tick and 
that's just kind of what that that would be pretty cool i think that it was just a neat way of kind of saying like there's there's a distinguishing mark on this guy and it's not a silver smile because by that point they were already talking about the silver smile yeah and i and think it was I, I was kind of in my mind like that's more what it looks like and then that happened and i just thought it was a cool shot but i remember the way it's it's done with such purpose in the show that I, and the way it's it's so eerie the way that guy is seated right in the middle there and he's right in the center of the frame between these women and he just looks at sarah and just winks at her and she kind of goes mm-hmm. and has this moment of like oh i'm dead yeah interesting it's great. Well, okay, and I guess I want to touch on the silver smile too. Uh, we get that silver smile information from Sally. <clears throat> she talks about how Giorgio had a favorite client who was wealthy and had a silver smile. Mm-hmm. And you and I have talked previously that I had kind of come up with the supposition of like, what if the kids gave them the silver smile as a way to get, uh, Willem off of their backs, essentially. Do you think, did those things just get confounded? Like, is that, are they, were they, was that just in there as, as a red herring? Is it just, I can't speak for certain because I think that they did receive a lot of information. And I think John is partially to blame because he really latched onto that. He wouldn't let that go. And it was almost like the look at your bird moment of like, you're not looking at the whole thing. You're just looking at the silver smile. You're you're not, you're looking at a clue and not the, the tapestry that it's painting. I guess, I guess what, because I feel like they did, they did talk about someone who promised to like take them away. I feel like, I feel like they said that Gloria had spoken to someone who promised to take her away. And I feel like those two characters got talked about almost in the same breath. And John like latched on the silver smile. Cause he was like, well, that's weird. And mm. you know, little though, those boys probably got offers all the time to be like, Oh, just come away with me and I'll take care of you. Well, I guess maybe is that the thing what uh, gives John the clue that it was someone wealthy? Cause I don't think <clears throat> Sally kind of calls it straight like that. I think he says that, it was someone who could take them away and mm-hmm. maybe John supposes that they're wealthy because they can like right. he thinks they can just purchase this exactly indentured servant yeah it's a lot it's a lot juicier for sure like a rich guy with a silver smile that sounds cool versus like you know some other detail just like a plain clothes guy who yeah. just like is nice to them You'd be like okay well that you probably encounter that so i think he latched on to the big things that sounded like oh these are neat I'll I'll take these back to Laszlo and we'll get this thing solved. I do I do really want to go back and rewatch those though. Yeah, like I no. this feels like a thing that I will once we're done I'm going to go back and watch it. Pour again. over the details. Um. All right. So if you would like to talk about the detail that I cut out of the episode two weeks ago with Lucius on the roof, this is going to be a bonus segment. What we're going to do? I'm going to go through the outro. If you want to hear this discussion, which is a spoiler for some book details, mm-hmm. please listen through the end music and it'll be there. Okay. All right. If you don't want to hear that stuff, you've got a good couple minutes here to get to your radio or whatever you're listening to this on and, and you can you can turn it off. So Yeah, if you are reading the book presently, probably don't listen necessarily. Yep. If you have no intention of reading the book and or if you have read the book listen yep. because i feel like this is something that if you've read it you probably didn't realize was missing or if you did you just dismissed it but i feel like it's important yeah 
So once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on TheAlienist.tv. We're also on TV Time, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. You can email us at feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on TNT's The Alienist so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, HBO's Westworld, and AMC's Preacher. Find out more about these shows as well as how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song Division by Kevin MacLeod and it is being used under an Attribution Creative Commons license. That's all for this episode of The Alienist Recap. We can't wait to see what next week's episode of The Alienist brings, but until then, we'll see you at the chop. All right. Okay. Here we are. Yes. So let me recap. Uh, two episodes ago, episode 106, I believe, the one that was titled remember. Ascension, this is the first episode where they started doing their sting operation to try and get the killer. Yes. Uh, Nick mentioned in our show that I ended up this these comments that i ended up cutting out about the idea that at one point in the book john looks over at uh the other rooftop and notices that lucius has something interesting about his appearance that he had never noticed before and later on it turns out that john actually wasn't looking at lucius it turned out that he was looking at the killer himself and he realizes it when they're going over the details of what happened mm-hmm. And you said that he re- so he realizes it when he sees Adam. Is that well? What you- it's it's reinforced. So now okay. I'll tell you the full details. All right. So, uh, if you don't recall this exact instance, it's when John is playing drums on the roof with Marcus <laughs> and, and lighting. <laughs> He's his, got his all mouth of the cigarettes, of cigarettes in his, mouth. <laughs> his bandolier of smokes. <laughs> and uh, Lucius and there's Cyrus. a pile of cigarettes on the side of yes, the building, exactly, like yeah. the pistachio or the nuts, plumes and, of uh, smoke yeah. over it. <laughs> Um. <laughs> uh, yeah. The and and uh, Lucius and Cyrus are on the other roof. Yep. And in the book, they this is this is the scenario for sure. And they're use they're kind of you know keeping an eye on each other. They're supposed to be watching each other's backs, but as well as like keeping an eye on the street. And it's uh, it's established a little more in the book that this is very boring. And in the show, it's a little more. You, they give the impression the whole time that they're all like on a on a razor's edge, ready to pounce. When that's not the reality of it, it's not the reality of stakeout work. And John wanting to smoke is actually probably more realistic. <laughs> he's just he's just a realist. Yep. More. And anyway, they're they're on the roofs, and at some point, <clears throat> more is just kind of like yawning and stretching, and he's kind of stretching his legs, and he looks over, and he sees Lucius standing there. And he sees the moonlight like bouncing off of Lucius's head, like a bald spot. And uh, that he's balding, like right, like mayor, male pattern baldness right at like the top of his head. Yeah. And he kind of notices it and he's like, that's weird. I never, I never really noticed that Lucius's hair was thinning like that. And he's like, whatever. And then he just goes back to what he's doing. And then it's like an hour later that uh, the whole thing happens when the, like an alarm gets sounded that one of the boys is missing and they didn't even see it. And then, uh, they 
I'm trying to remember the order of events because I feel like Beecham was there and he went and got the boy and then knocked out Cyrus. But I think he knocked out Cyrus and then went and got the boy and Lucius just didn't notice. Yeah. But anyway, I think that's what happens. And <clears throat> see, alarm is sounded. The wi- the, they use whistles. I think I said that too. Yeah. They all have whistles to to blow and signal when something's wrong because they're kind of a little further away than like shouting distance and there's like noise and that sort of thing. So they hear the whistle going off and they think, oh, f- oh shit, we got to let's go. So they run over to that rooftop, and that's when they find Cyrus bleeding, and Lucius is like, oh, I, I just found him like this. Like, I thought he was fine. I, I, I turned my back, and I, I was away from him, like, for, like, 15 minutes, maybe. And so they realize that Beecham got under the roof, like, staked out the angle, decided to knock out Cyrus, lowered himself down, picked up, uh, who does he get that night? Rosie. Rosie. And then left, extracted himself, and all of this within a span of, like, 15 or 20 minutes, because they say that they kind of are taking turns on different sides of the roof to keep things fresh. Yeah. So like Lucius takes one corner and Cyrus takes the other and you're just staring in like a, a spot for like 20 minutes. And so, you know, 15, 20 minutes goes by and this happens. So they, they establish a couple things that the killer was there. The killer is very fast. He's clearly a very skilled climber who's very comfortable on rooftops because he does this with the added weight of somebody else, even if it's just a boy quickly. And so Laszlo, these are the things Laszlo takes away from it. And then it hits John later. He's like, holy shit i was staring at him and that's when he tells them and they're all like you idiot what are you talking about <laughs> and he's kind of like no i didn't i didn't realize it was him but i was looking right at him so then they have this piece of information and they move on and then it's much later in the book by the time they're heading to the dory farm and john's kind of like you know saying in the narration like you know we're getting close we're getting closer to something like we're all we're all excited and you know we really hope that this is it that this is the lead it feels like and i think even says like laszlo it has to be him this has to be our guy and laszlo's kind of like it doesn't have to be anything it is what it is they think adam is the guy no they think they're gonna learn okay they they know adam's innocent because he's been living on this farm yeah but they think that there's a connection they just don't know what they're gonna make the connection between john beecham and and then as they're pulling up to the farm at the end of the chapter they see like somebody working in the field they see like a big brawny guy and I think they kind of have the profile that Beecham's like a bigger, stronger dude. He's almost like kind of weirdly big for the era. Like this is a time when people weren't like bodybuilder physique. Yeah. But I think they kind of get this idea that Beecham is like a it's like a bigger dude, like kind of weirdly buff. And they see this big guy on the field and then he like stands up to like wipe his brow and John says, you see the sunlight glinting off his head in the same spot. Uh, which is it's a hereditary trait generally yeah and john right away sees that and is like oh my god like that's (laughs) like where it ends this connection like that's got to be his brother because they have that same trait in common and again it's the reason i think this is important is not to see like they're both balding but the moment of them having this encounter with the killer and not knowing it is so awesome in the book to think that he was there and john saw him and maybe could have found a way to get the drop on him, even though it's probably not likely because he's a, he's a seasoned hunter and tracker. But still, the idea that he was right there and that Cyrus's injury could have been prevented, but also that like they, they had eyes on him is so frustrating to think that he was there and like smoke just right through their fingers and yeah. got away and still killed another person. Yep. And John thinks like if I had only like even sounded the alarm and, and he might have left and like maybe that boy wouldn't have died. So it's this moment of like, we were so close and yet we couldn't stop it. And it, it's just so, so great in the book. And the fact that that kind of moment is absent, you still get Cyrus getting knocked out. So, you know, he was there, Yeah. but it's when Lucius is gone too. Like Lucius runs, Cyrus is up there by himself, right? Yep. Yeah. And that's part of what sucks about it because it's, it's even crazier to think that this guy is bold enough. And I think Laszlo uses that to describe him. 
that he will go on the roof where there's an armed police officer and he will still stealthily sneak up and knock out a guy, like a big, strong, capable guy, yeah. and still kidnap well, the kid. And that's the whole thing. They sacrifice, They they remove the possibility of this even happening in the show because of the fact that that is the second sting of the episode when John and Marcus are inside with Stevie and Rosie. So to kind of think about like, I mentioned in the part that I cut out of our episode that maybe they just thought it would be hard to portray someone similarly to the point where you as the viewer wouldn't realize that it wasn't, it would be difficult for them to fake us out and think, oh, that's, that's Lucius. It might be difficult. They could do it. I think they would it be believable like that kind of thing. Those questions are still there. You're right. But that was my 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 concern was like maybe they couldn't do that. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Like I think I don't know why they would have cut it out because really the only thing that them being in that situation gives you is Marcus building a relationship with Rosie before Rosie dies. And I did like the moment of Marcus wincing at it, but it. But ultimately, they don't even talk about it. Yeah, it's not, yeah. Is it worth this moment of tension of, oh my God, he was there? I think it could have worked because you could have shown the the Lucius rooftop. You could could almost see Lucius's perspective of him looking over and seeing the tip of John's cigarette and just being like, what is Moore doing? Like, I can see him playing his day here. And then you can almost have a reverse moment later where Moore is kind of like, you know, twiddling his thumbs and he looks over and sees the outline of somebody pacing and then he's like... With oh. the glint off of their bald head. And it, yeah. it, that detail doesn't even necessarily need to be there, but just the outline of them pacing and pausing at a corner and then just like dipping from view, he could be like, oh, Lucius just disappeared behind the whatever when really it was the killer positioning himself to like strike. Plus, the, it was good in the show when the killer... The, the tension of that moment of him being there talking to Stevie, like, it was good. But... It's so much more frustrating and cool in the book when he you don't ever get that inter- they don't ever directly interact with him until late. Yeah. Later than we are right now in the show. And you don't get this moment of like even you can't even suppose his like height and weight because you haven't like there are things that they could have done like Stevie could you know he's given John the description and the sketch and I, I understand somebody coming face to face with them is important to to validate John as a picture man instead of a, a, a reporter <laughs> but it's just great when the when the, the closest you came to him was him juking Lucius and knocking Cyrus out like and knowing that like he is a man, he was there at the same time we were. We were we were right. Like the the validation of like we were in the right place at the right time. We just weren't ready. Giving them that small win. Exactly. It's just so rewarding that when they do start to get on this trail, that when they put a name to him, when they start to see someone who looks like him, and they can start to say like this must be what he's like. When they get the idea of the tick, when you haven't, when nobody in the party has come face to face with him yet, or even been in the same room as him that they are aware of, you know. It's so powerful in the book to think that, you know, they even say like some of the kids say like, oh, he's a ghost or he might not even be a man. And he's like, he is most assuredly a man Yeah, is is a good line. And it's true. But at the same time, he has this quality of just escapism that makes him such a worthy opponent. And it also magnifies the tension when Laszlo realizes like he is more comfortable on these rooftops than we are. This is his playground. Like, and we'll save that for later. Uh, there's also the point where he delivers the newspaper with the the tongue 
in the carriage. Yep. Is it? Th- it's his tongue, right? Yeah, I yeah. I think it is his tongue. It's Giorgio's tongue. That comes later than it did in the show, and that moment is terrifying for them because they realize, like, they've been tracking him for a lot longer. They don't know anything about him yet. They don't know his name, but they're they're starting to establish a pattern. They know what happens near water. They know what happens near heights. And then him depositing this in Laszlo's carriage, he realizes, like, oh, he knows who we are, and he probably knows where we're working out of, and he's like a hunter tracker, so he probably has eyes on us, and we don't even know it. And it's kind of similar to the scene in the restaurant, which was great, yeah. but that seems to have come kind of inconsequential. Like, that happened so early, and it was such a bomb-ass ending to that episode, but then the next episode, they're all just kind of like, well, and you just reminded to the grind. Me, you just reminded me of the tongue. The idea that Beecham is on to them from the first episode yes. of this is, is feels like a pretty big thing, but it hasn't really like it didn't stick. Right. And and that's part of Beecham's characterization in the book is that he's operating with what he believes is total impunity. Like he thinks he's uncatchable. He's almost a little cocky. Yeah. He's so confident on those rooftops and, and with his process that he thinks like they're they're already tracing together details of all the murders and the Zweig children and stuff before Beecham realizes there's an investigation. And it's the it's the printing. It's when that detail when it goes to the press that like there's a small group tracking the they freak out when that gets printed because they're like, oh shit. It changes everything. This guy can read, or he will at least find someone who knows how to read. And he will learn that there's someone who's trailing him and Laszlo like blows his stack and he's like, damn it. All we had on this guy was the advantage that he didn't know that we were on him and now he knows. And that's why when he delivers the tongue, he delivers the letter to Mrs. Santarelli. These are huge moments. And Laszlo's like, this guy is communicating with us. He's toying with them. He's toying with us and he's aware of us. And now we're in more danger than ever. And he's like, even our top secret HQ, which in the show is still, we don't know. <laughs> it's the wardrobe from Narnia. Like, all of it is kind of thrown out the window and doesn't matter in the show. Because in the second, is it the first episode? Towards the end it's of the episode? It's the first episode. The foot chase, yeah. where he escapes through the roof. Again, huge clue. Yeah. Kind of like the wink, at least in my mind. Um, that all happens so early that you understand a little bit more now why I was like, why is this happening? <laughs> yeah. why, why aren't we establishing these characters a little more first? You know what yeah. I mean? Why are the Isaacsons already here and already saying Arkansas toothpick? Like that's stuff that con- that's earned a little bit more in the book. Yeah. So anyway, huge digression off the, the simple point of like they encounter him on the roof and it's kick ass in the book. And the balding is a thing that again, it's a small detail, but like Laszlo would say, everything matters. And yeah. Every detail matters. And so now that's one more thing we know to look for. A guy who's big, who's larger than usual. I think he's described as like 6'2 or 6'3, which is like, you know, nowadays, whatever. But back then, like a little more unusual and just very strapping. Yeah. We know that he has a facial tick and that he's balding. Right away, that's a huge detail. Yeah. So it's just a cool thing in the book. And, and the moment you have as the reader, I mean, like when I read that part, the hair on my arm stands up because you're just like, you feel their excitement of like, oh my God, like another theory confirmed. This yeah. is, we can put this as fact at this point. It, because awesome. it ceases to be speculation and it gets circled on the chalkboard. That's anyway. a bummer. How do you feel? You feel like the show would be better with it? Yeah, I think so. Like, I don't see a good reason for why it's not in there. So I, 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 like, I guess I get that. I think it's even worse in the show, the fact that when they meet the killer, it is by circumstance and general coincidence that Marcus and John aren't paying any attention to what's going on. That feels so much more fake to me 
than the fact that we have this dude who's surgically climbing the roof and taking out Cyrus right in front of John's eyes, literally. Mm-hmm. That seems so much more important to the killer. And even. terrifying. Yeah. That this is, and again, it just reinforces that this is not your average, like, switchblade wielding mugger. Like, this is someone who does this as, like, a profession. It's a sport basically. for them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's an even better way to put it. Like, he's he's getting his kicks doing this. Yeah. He's not n- nude and covered in blood and rock hard running around on the roof, but. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, it. Yeah. I, I would I would love for you for you when this is over to listen to the book. Yeah. And and, and just I I would love to get those texts from you being like, Oh that was so much better. Why didn't they include this? All right. I guess I have one other question. Can you talk about the priest yet? Or do you want to hold it off? I can There's a priest on the roof in yes, the same episode. Yes, yes. Um I can't tell you exactly why, but basically the i if if you can't if you can't reveal it all then we can hold on to it no i just think that there there's more to that encounter than than you might think and it's not who's up there it's not the fact that it's a priest it's the fact of of why he's there and they haven't really talked about this yet and at this point i i i'm feeling pretty confident that they're they did include the priest up there it feels like it was just kind of a psych out, though, in the show that they were like, this would be cool. Yeah, it was a head because fake. He even said, like, I'm here spreading the word or whatever he says. But it's it's the reason he's using the roof is what's important. It's yeah. like, why do you think the priest was up there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't know. There, I will tell you this. There's something about the geography of that era of New York that is the reason the priest was using the roof. And it does tie in the the show. If the show put it there as an Easter egg for the viewers um, or for any readers, that's fine. But it's also stupid because it, it, it should lead to an important detail that helps them hone in further on Beecham once they get back to Manhattan. Okay. I'll, well, I'll leave it at that. All right. All right. I think that's. I I know it's something you can figure out. I think it, it, it's not. It's. it's I mean, it, if it cut like if I don't know, he's in the seedier part of town trying to save right maybe yeah. immigrants sure. or you know that kind of thing. Like, and he doesn't want to be on the streets for a reason. Yes, but there. If if this is going to be explained, it has to happen in the next episode. It must. Because if it doesn't, there is way too much shit happening in episode ten. Yeah. Because this is this is a an important thing, and uh, I f- I feel like based on the next week on, Sarah is chilling in New Paltz for a while. I think she may not rejoin the crew until episode ten. Okay. I think she's there digging up a little more dirt. Although a lot can happen, especially with the show has kind of really started to pick up the pace and yeah. just get people from point A to point B. Um. So she may come back, but I think that. Laszlo and John are going to have to deal with the fallout of the of Mary and everything at the house, which is going to, I think in the show, it's going to throw a bigger emotional wrench into the works than it does in the book. And I, I think, think in so. the book, it almost happens later than in the show. I don't think it happens after they confront Beecham. I'm not really sure. Anyway, um, 
I don't I don't remember the exact place, but I feel like it happens way late, and it's like a hooray, we made it, and no, we didn't. So we'll see. All we'll right, two more, two more weeks, baby. Yeah. No, this was good. Hopefully, anybody who's listened is not uh, sad. Hopefully, nothing got ruined. I think we gave you ample time to get out. So if if something got ruined for you, it's your own damn fault. But. Uh, <laughs> We love you, know, you anyway. It should just make you, if, if you haven't read the book and you listened, and it should just make you want to read the book more because yeah. there's lots of moments like that. And honestly, 100% truthfully, I, I really like the show. I'm having a great time. Yeah. I really, I think that this is one of my favorite podcasts that we've done and partially because it does come from such a personal place. Yeah. But also, I, I think that it's a really fun show to talk about and uh, it's well done and mm-hmm. it is compelling, but naturally... You know, they it's it's almost an adage at this point that the book is better than the movie. Yeah, and uh, it's just always probably going to be true. Yeah, and the, yeah. the book is is a different journey. It's it's more of a book. I mean, it's it's slower, it's more deliberate, but ultimately, in ways, it's a little more rewarding. A lot of it, you feel like you do feel like you're a lot more along for the ride with them in the book. You feel like you're the eighth or ninth member of the crew, and that's pretty awesome yeah it's fun to feel like you know those characters and the ones who come around for the sequel it's very fun because you feel again like the band is back together and it's uh it's a blast interesting all right well thanks everybody for listening and we will catch you next week